Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to California Haunts Radio. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour or so. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team, based out of Sacramento, California. We're 45 strong up and down the state of California. So if you find that you need any paranormal help, give us a ring, shoot us an email, send me an IM on Facebook, shoot us an email at uh, CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com, and I'll get back to you and we'll make arrangements for that. Um, I can honestly tell you that uh, we just don't come out looking for ghosts. We come out to do a little debunking while we're out there. I know a lot of people hate that word, but I mean, we're looking for natural causes and stuff. So you will get a full service because anything less is a disservice. Anyway, I want to welcome everybody and remind everybody that Saturday I'm teaching a ghost hunting 101 class starting at 11 a.m. Pacific where I teach you how to ghost hunt. I've been ghost hunting for almost uh, 20 years, so I've got a lot of experience. My team does. And, uh, you know, you don't have to do it our way all the time, but we found proof, we found techniques that improve the quality of the EVP you get and the kind of evidence that, that you pick up. And you could even do this if you're with just friends and you're, off, you're, hanging, you're hanging out at some haunted location or some haunted hotel. I mean, we've even gotten great Class A EVPs with people in bars below us having parties or, or singing karaoke below us. That's what I'm going to teach Saturday. So just remember, and uh, if you want to check that out, Head over to the California Haunts Meetup page. It's simple, California Haunts Meetup. Anyway, we've got a great show for you tonight. Something that's a, it's someone that's interested me for a long, long time. And uh, for you guys that don't know about Howard Hughes, I'm going to let the cast explain who he who he was, and that way you, you can get a feel for him. But uh, yeah, Howard Hughes was a unique individual, and I remember years ago. Um, they used to have, he built this plane called the Spruce Goose, and it was uh, it, it was an ocean-bound plane, big pontoons, you know. And they had it uh, down at uh, Long Beach alongside the Queen Mary. And I remember going to see it there. Now I believe it's in Oregon somewhere. But, uh, yeah, it's a really, it was, this thing was huge, you know. And he built this thing, and it was made out of wood. And uh, I think it only flew once, I think. I may be wrong. I think I only flew once, but it, it was different. You know, Howard Hughes had a lot of money, and he spent it the way he wanted to. Anyway, my guest tonight has a book out, and in, within the within the pages of this book, there's questions. Did Howard Hughes? Okay, let's let's put some background real quick. Howard Hughes lived in a hotel for years as a recluse, supposedly. But this book changes all that. It makes you look at the other side of this in that Howard Hughes may not have been living in that hotel all these years. It was a double. And he was living on the outside, married, and just having a, you know, just having a normal life. Is it possible? I think it's possible. He had a lot of money. He, he had the means to do it. He had the means to maybe get plastic surgery and change the way he looked and stuff. But anyway, I'm not going to get into that because I didn't write the book. Mark Music wrote the book. And so I'm going to bring Mark on right now. Hello, sir. Hello, Charlotte. How are you? Good. How are you? Very good. Very good. Tell me about you. I am retired military. I'm retired major general. Was in the Air Force and for 35 years. And actually, I got involved with this weird, weird story that we're going to talk about tonight when I met a lady named Eva McClelland, mm -hmm. and she told me a story. And I thought, this is craziness. This is lunacy. This can't possibly be true. Her story was that she was married to Howard Hughes. And I met her in January 2002. I knew her husband had just died about two months earlier. This would be November 2001. When she told me this thing, I said, Eva, Howard Hughes died 25 years ago. She said, that's what they want you to think. And she started telling me this story, that she met him 
1969, living in Panama. They were married. He was using another name. He was using the name of Werner Nicely, and he referred to himself as Nick Nicoly to throw confusion every step of the way. They were married in May of 70. She began to put the pieces of the puzzle together. I'm married to Howard Hughes, and he's living on this other identity. And then he revealed it to her. And by then, she already knew it. And after that point in time that he revealed it to her, she could ask him any questions. She talked about the, the Spruce Goose. He didn't like the name Spruce Goose. She talked about flying the Hercules. Why did you do that? That was so dangerous. And he said, I did it because I was told it wasn't going to fly. So I made sure that it did. And he talked about his childhood growing up in Texas. He talked about his parents. He talked about being in boarding schools, his parents dying young, his dad being in the oil business. All of the things that matches Howard Hughes's life. As I started researching this story, I found out what she was telling me was true. Everything that she was telling me made sense. It all brought the story together of the crazy, weird later life of Howard Hughes, where he was described in the media as just long haired, long fingernail, drug addicted, bedridden, mentally incompetent, derelict. Mm -hmm. That was a stand in. Howard was living under another identity, hiding away with Eva McClellan. Why would he give, I mean, essentially give up everything to live this other identity? Well, that's a really interesting question because he really didn't give up everything. Okay. He basically hid on this other identity because the man was a very reclusive man. Mm -hmm. His last picture was taken in the early 50s, and that's his last official picture. He did not like publicity, he did not like notoriety but he could never escape because of the things that he did, the aviation records that he set, the movies that he made, all of those things. He could never ever escape. And so he found a way that he, he could escape and be comfortable in that very reclusive life that he wanted to live. And part of that was bringing another, another person in, this long haired, long fingernail, mentally incompetent gentleman, bringing him in, throwing confusion into the whole situation and then hiding with Eva McClelland doing his business through AIDS. He had AIDS around him all the time until the stand-in died in 1976. Mm -hmm. The AIDS were always there doing business with him, interacting with him and actually uh, protecting him, uh, protecting him and Eva as bodyguards or as help with that. And then after 1976, once the stand-in died, the AIDS had disappeared, and Eva and Howard just hid away. This is interesting. I mean, granted, he had the money to do that. I mean, he, like I said, he had the money. If he wanted plastic surgery, he could have done that. But, I mean, he was highly, rec well, I mean, he was recognizable, right? I mean, it's like Donald Trump trying to hide somewhere, you know? Well, he's richest man in America, so he could buy anything that he wanted to buy. And he still kept access to money, even after his death. How did he do this? He changed his looks. He, he whitened his hair. His hair was dark color. Mm -hmm. And he made himself blonde. He actually had an iris implant done, which was experimental when he had it done. But now you can change any iris about any color you want to. And he had an iris implant done. So now instead of being dark hair, dark eyed, he became blonde hair, blue eyed. And he actually had, I believe, some plastic surgery also, which changed some facial features. And that's why Eva didn't really recognize him initially, mm -hmm. because he didn't really look like Howard in 1969, 1970, when they originally got together. But he always had these aides around him, always doing business, and would just disappear. He'd be gone, sometimes for months at a time. He'd just be gone. But they always got back together again. This is really a love story. She loved him, and he loved her. And this is really a love story is what it turns out to be. Um, 
he's used to living in, in, in opulence. I mean, he could have anything he wants, any hotels, you know, he could build his own Trump Tower, his version of Trump Tower if he wants to or whatever. How was he living during all this time? Well, he bought in Las Vegas, he bought six hotels. Mm-hmm. He bought another one in Reno, Nevada. Mm-hmm. He bought an airport. He bought TV stations. He bought massive acres and acres and acres of land in Nevada. And so he had all of these material things, but he really wasn't a material man. Material things really didn't mean that much to him, especially what meant, what meant a lot to him was being able to disappear. That that's what meant a lot to him to be able to escape. And when they lived, when they moved into Alabama, they moved into Alabama, their, 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 Movement went like this. They met in Panama mm-hmm. in 1972, June of 1972. They moved to Arizona. And in Arizona, they lived in three places. One in Flagstaff, and then some time in Prescott, and then a time in Camp Verde. The aides are always with them throughout all of those times. In April of 74, they moved to Alabama. Now, Eva was from Alabama. She grew up in Alabama. And they went back to an area that was close to where she grew up, west of Troy, Alabama. The aides were again with them through this, through this time. And they moved to uh, uh, a little house about 10 miles west of Troy, Alabama. I think it's Highway 29, about 10 miles west of Troy, Alabama, in a little house. The aides again were with them down the, down the road about half a mile. And this is where the location where he actually told her I'm Howard Hughes. And she says, okay, I've already figured this out. I already knew that you were Howard Hughes. And this is where the aides were there to protect him, to help them communicate. Eva actually knew the aides were there to help him. And sometimes they would come and meet with him and she'd say, hey, hey Nick, he, he, he went by the name Nick. Hey, Nick, the, your, your buddies are out here. They want to talk to you. And then he'd, he'd laugh a little bit and go and go meet with them on whatever they wanted to talk about. But they live very, 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 very hidden away in a small portion of Alabama. As I've gone and presented this story into Alabama, people of Alabama have said, if you want to hide, <laughs> Alabama is the place to hide. Uh, this is the place to come do it if that's what you want to do. This is all so incredible. I mean... He, like I said, he he had the means to be, you know, be refaced in all this and have this done. But I, I mean, how did the banks not catch on to what was going on when the money was moving around? I mean, it's one thing to sign the bills from Las Vegas, but it's another thing to sign and pay for stuff, land holdings and stuff via Alabama. Well, what he had in Alabama was under another name, of course. Okay. And so that 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 was all under another name when he. When the stand-in died in 1976, he had massive business interests out there in aviation, in oil, in in uh, hotels, massive business. Those just kept on going under the leadership and under the management of those people who were managing those businesses. So those businesses just, just kept on going. All he needed was a checking account, and he had one. Hmm. And what does she say he was like? I mean, what kind of person was he? That's that's very interesting because she she described him as <clears throat> his personality could change very very quickly. He could go from a very very charming man to a, to kind of a verbally vicious man, and so his personality would change. People call it OCDC, I think it is, or whatever those acronym is, obsessive compulsive. Mm-hmm. That's what people have called it. And there'd be times when she couldn't put up with him anymore, so she would just leave. And there'd be times that, that they'd be gone for nine months at a time, six months at a time, four months at a time. And those would be the times, if you look in the books, where Howard Hughes would actually meet with the governor of Nevada would be flying airplanes, 
would be would be meeting with some of his his other business acquaintances. Those periods when Eva left him matches the exact times that Howard would go have businesses meetings, but it, they'd always get back together because he would have someone tracking her. He knew where she went. He knew where she was. And then he'd get, we got to get back together again. I love you. I love you. We need to get back together again. And she, she'd come back because she, she loved him. She didn't enjoy the guy, but th there's years there that they live very reclusive in Alabama on about 20 acres of wooden, wooden, wooded property in Alabama that would got pretty lonely for her, I think. Mm -hmm. And she actually went into Troy, Alabama and bought a house. She showed me the house. It was a very, very, very nice house. She showed me the house and she took Nick in to see the house. And he says, he says, I can't live here. There's no way I can possibly live here. The roof is not safe. The roof is going to cave in. I can't live in a, in a house like this. And she knew reason why he couldn't live there was because the people were too close. Mm -hmm. He didn't want to live with, with on a normal block where you have, you know, dozen houses. He didn't want to live there at all and actually interact with people because mm -hmm. he did not, he could not risk being recognized. He just could not do it. And so that's why he had to stay on this wooded property basically hiding away. And that's where he did stay until his ultimate passing in November of 2001. How was she able to prove to you that it was him? Because I mean, did it, <laughs> no DNA, you know, none of this, it boggles my mind. Well, that, that's really, uh, sure. That's really a good question because I didn't believe her for four years. Mm -hmm. I sat, listened to her stories and I thought, this can't be true. There's no way, there's no way what you're telling me can possibly happen. It just can't. I didn't believe her. And during those four years, I started researching things. I went in and researched the identity that, that Howard took a gentleman named Werner Nicely and talked to family members from Werner Nicely, actually researched his birth certificate. Mm -hmm. Again, everything Eva said was, was right on, on there. That was a man who was five foot, 11 inches tall, born in Ohio, 1921, went into the military, left the Air Force in 1955 and went to work for the CIA uh, in Panama. This man just disappeared. We really don't know what happened to him. So that's that's Werner Nicely there. So as I went and researched Werner Nicely, I, I found out again it all fits. Everything that she said fits. And then she gave me actually military records, medical records, all the records that fit both Werner nicely and, and Nick during a period of time that he was in the hospital looking at these things. And then he also spent some time in the VA hospital in Alabama, Montgomery, Alabama, and we requested those records and got those records. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it says, what were your, where did you grow up? I grew up in Texas. He was still 72 inches tall. Uh, Howard at his height was about six foot four. Vernon Nicely was five foot 11. And so at, at the end of his life, he was still taller than the identity that, that he took. And so if you look at all of these things and put them together, it begins, the puzzle begins to become clear of what really went on here and the mystery that really went on here. <clears throat> Until you can you put it on the, the thing that really, really hit me. I said, this was in, I'd, I'd known Eva for four years. This was 2006. And I said, Eva, do you have any pictures of Nick? And up to this point, she had not given me any pictures. She said, she said, he never won his picture taken. Never, ever won his picture taken. She says, but I think I have a couple. I think I've got a couple. And so she started looking through her boxes because she was living out of boxes. The name of the book is Boxes, a sequel after Howard Hughes. She could not unpack. They had to be able to leave. So she lived out of boxes. She started looking through these boxes 
and pulls out a couple of photographs of these three and a half by three and a half photographs taken early, early 80s of a man long ways away, way back in the distance. You couldn't really get anything out of it. You could see he was pretty tall. That's about all you could see out of these pictures. But I said, Eva, can I have these pictures? And she said, yes, you can have them. It was the same time I was talking to a detective in the Houston Police Department about this story. And I was going through my mind, is this real or is this not? And this detective told me, she said, if this lady, if this lady Eva gives you things, it's real. If she never gives you anything to back up her story, it's not. Well, she gave me everything. She gave me absolutely everything that backed up her story, including military records, medical records, pictures, wedding certificates, everything that fit, she gave me. This is like a spy novel. This is like something out of the movies, you know, with the, the, where they find the guy's body floating and, and he's got the wrong he's got the wrong ID, but he looks like the person in the picture, that kind of thing. If you just look at it, it's kind of like you, you, it, it, we've been told year after year after year after year, Howard Hughes died in 1976. Mm-hmm. That's what we've been told. Howard Hughes died in 1976. We've been told it many, many multiple times. Mm-hmm. We believe it. That's what we believe. We believe what we're told. Well, in this case, it wasn't true. It wasn't true at all. Wow. I mean, it's hard to wrap your head your head around it. Yes. The other interesting thing about about Howard is history says he had no children, Mm -hmm. which wasn't true either. In the second edition of the book that we put out in 2016, two children came forward. One was a gentleman named John John McDonald, and the other one was Cindy. And John, there's pictures of him in the book. John physically resembles Howard. If you put those two pictures beside each other, it's hard to tell the difference between these two gentlemen. And then you listen to John's story and it all makes sense what went on there. Cindy's dad was Howard mm-hmm. and Howard actually interacted with Cindy under very, under a couple different names, but actually interacted with Cindy. And so Howard actually uh, interact with with uh, with all of his children. There's more than just the two, but he actually interacted with all of his children throughout their lives and actually kept track of where they were. So we've got a very mysterious man here who wanted to hide, mm-hmm. had the money to buy anything he wanted, had the in, had, had the government contacts to get it all done, found a lady that loved him, that kept a secret, and he did it. Well, you know, it's not that far-fetched, though, because there's people that do this all the time. You know, like Olivia Newton-John's husband disappears. She has a big search for him. He's down in Mexico running boats or wherever he was, or whatever he was doing in Mexico. You know, there's people that, you know, they find their cars by the side of the road. They think they've been kidnapped. They find them later. But it's just incredible that somebody in Howard's position, like you say, he did have the means. It's just like the whole thing with, with changing the eye color, you know, the irises in the eye. I mean, it was experimental, but he had the money to pay for that experimental surgery to be done. I mean, it was a perfect setup. So and I, he, I also, he, he also had... He was, he had many uh, inputs and he helped the CIA a lot. Mm-hmm. And he had many jobs that the CIA wanted done, which he went and did. One of them was the raising of a Soviet submarine that sank northwest of Hawaii. And Howard built the Glomar Explorer to go raise that submarine. And when we say in the book, we speculated, well, we speculated. And so our speculation brings 
Howard took this other identity, this identity of Vernon Nicely, about the same time that he said, yes, I'll go raise this submarine for you, CIA. And what he think he did, this is our speculation, what he think he said was, CIA, you want us to go raise that submarine? I'll go raise that. You get me another identity. Mm -hmm. And of course they did of another CIA operative who just disappeared. Mm -hmm. And then Howard also controlled and, and launched the CIA's communication satellites. So he could communicate the way he wanted to, and it could never, ever be traced. And that's why in the book say his telephone communications, they could never follow them. They could never be traced. Mm -hmm. Another advantage that your average citizen doesn't have if they're going out and hiding is being able to communicate in a way that no one can touch you. Right. And so he did have a lot of, of uh, help, I must say, from the CIA in this. So he had a lot of government assistance in this also. Mm -hmm. You know, while you were saying that, I was thinking about Elon Musk with these rockets and stuff that he's building. I mean, that's essentially that's what he's doing with communication satellites and all this stuff. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to disappear, but I'm just saying there's not, there's a parallel <laughs> there, you know, with, right. with, with the way he, with, with the way he's spending money and stuff. The, 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 this is plausible. I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm a journalist. You know, I have to look at all parts of everything, but it's just incredible. And it's just, wow. You know, if, if this is true. And I, I think there is, I think there's a, a connection here theoretically between uh, Elon Musk and Howard Hughes. They're both genius men. Yes. They have all the money that you could ever, ever imagine. And they're trying to use it for the right things. I believe, I hope that. The difference is, is that Elon kind of, he kind of enjoys the media, I think. Mm -hmm. he, he likes being out in the media and being mm -hmm. in the limelight. Howard Hughes hated it. He did everything he could to stay out of the limelight, to stay out of the media. So that's kind of the difference in the personality between the two. But there's a lot of commonalities between those two personalities. Yes. 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 Yeah, there are. You know, for man, I mean, then you gotta wonder too. And I, I, I know, you know, there's there's two, there's movie stars like this too, that you know they get into the business, and then suddenly it's oh no, get the cameras out of my face, get this out of my face. Well, you gotta do a business where people are gonna be seeing you and watching you. Unfortunately, you're stuck. I mean, that's what you chose to do. And for Howard, you know, with his movies and, and whatnot, and being as bigger than life as he was, <laughs> that's just expected. But I mean, if the guy didn't like the way he was living, if the guy didn't like that, that's that. that who are we to say you know it's a bad thing? But yes, he, he made he made uh, he made many movies. Movies was one of, in the '30s. Movies was a big big deal, and so he got into the movies there in the '30s, and he got into aviation also. And would design airplanes, set records in airplanes. Very, very visible. Very, very visible man. You know, buys a lot of TWA. And then he buys a lot of the hotels there in Las Vegas. So he, he does a lot of the things that that he wanted to do with his money. Mm -hmm. but except he had to make sure that the, that visibility part wasn't really there. See, the other thing that happened to him in 1946... He had an aircraft accident, a very, very serious one, and got burned on a large percent of his body. His hands were damaged. His feet were damaged. He had some burns on his chest, on his back, things like that. This man, uh, Vernon Nicely, Nick Nickley, Howard Hughes, his feet were damaged severely. His hands were damaged severely. His back was damaged severely. So he had the, the physical damage that Howard Hughes would have from that airplane and people who met him personally attested to that they said yes his hands were damaged his feet were damaged and he talked about his height mm -hmm. you know he's six foot four talked about his height he liked to talk about aviation he very intelligent man so he liked to talk about aviation to anyone anyone who would listen at that point in time out in the woods of alabama 
there'd be a few people that would be very interested in that. And they're yeah, going along great with them. I love that stuff. <laughs> yeah, definitely. They, they, they just really liked it. Those ones who he, or he would allow them to get to know him. Mm-hmm. Very few people actually got to know him because if someone came to visit Eva out in the woods of Alabama, he'd hide. He just hide. Uh, would not interact at all. And Eva said there's times that he would just disappear. Don't know where he went. Don't know what happened to him. He just disappeared in the, in the woods there. One, one time she he said, well, wh- what have you been doing today? And he said, well, I, I climbed up in a tree and I fell out and I was unconscious for a little bit. And Eva said, I knew that wasn't true. I knew that was a lie. But it was his way of just saying, leave me alone. You know, just leave me alone. I've been to do what I want to do. You know, that goes back to having money. He could have had the government build him a bunker back there, too, you know, where, where he could go hide underground somewhere. I was probably one of the last last few people that rode, that, that, that flew on Hughes Air West. Oh, cool. Before okay. it shut down. But I remember flying how impressed I was. I was only like probably 11 or 12, and I remember getting on the plane, and I thought, wow, this is Howard Hughes' airplane. That's great. Yeah, that, yeah they, that was a good airline. It didn't last for long. It was a good yeah. airline. Yeah, yeah. See, the story intrigues me because it's, it's just fascinating. You, you hear these stories about these guys, you know, and it's and, and like even Elvis, you hear these stories about Elvis doing the same thing and taking off. And who are we to say it's not true? I mean, the people that that that, that know it's true are the ones that are, are, are the closest to them. Like you said, Howard had a handful of guys that he trusted and they stayed with him, you know, the whole time. It's just and the, the age are actually there in, in Alabama. Eva would see the aid. One time she was going into Troy, Alabama, and she had a flat tire on her car. And within within about two minutes, there's someone who came up, stopped, repaired the tire, never said a word, and left. So she knew they're watching her very, very closely. One thing that I think he would tell Eva, you need to be careful because you could be kidnapped. Mm-hmm. And he was worried about his family, you know, his wife at that point, and I think his children too. That's why the children never got any visibility in in the world was because he was afraid that someone would kidnap them, sure, and then want you know want a ransom for them, which probably would be worrisome if you're the richest man in the world. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, that's that's incredible. I know the royal family puts um, any new member coming in, be it Meghan Markle or, you know, Princess Kate, they put them through uh, kidnapping training where they actually have the their, their, their version of the Navy SEALs kidnap them mm-hmm. and they're trained mm-hmm. how to behave you know, d- during that. So I, I, I would think that maybe wealthier people do that with their families. But back then, probably not. But I'm just saying, you know, I would think, who knows? But yeah. You know, anybody with that kind of money and that kind of visibility. Right. Yeah. That's a good idea, actually. Yeah. 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 You know, it, it just interests me. And, and and how big a house was this that, that he was living in in Alabama? Oh, a very small house. There's a picture of it in the book. We, Eva, we went by and Eva showed it to me. It was probably 40 foot by 40 foot, something like that. Maybe Whoa. not even that much. And, and it was not in great shape. He would not let her have a TV. He said, there's nothing on TVs. There's no value there. We're not having a TV. And so they had a radio. And so when April 5th, 1976, when Howard Hughes supposedly died, they were listening to it on the radio. And the huh. aides were down the road, you know, about half mile down the road. Yeah. And they're listening to it on the radio. And Eva's comment is the public's going to realize something is really strange in this because they're trying to get the body in the ground too quickly. Mm-hmm. Nick Howard says to Eva, you really know who your friends are when you fake your death and you see who shows up at the service. <laughs> at the service there's 23 people. There weren't any doctors there who taken care of him. There weren't any business associates. There weren't any aides. Mm-hmm. Nobody like that. There were 22 cousins, most of whom Howard didn't even hadn't even met. 
And the other one person was a CIA operative. They had a four minute service for him. Richest man in America has a four minute service and get him in the ground in less than 48 hours of his death. So they obviously wanted to get this, get this body in the ground quickly. Mm -hmm. That became very, very evident. The reason why it wasn't Howard. Mm -hmm. You better get it in the ground because it's not Howard at all. Now this double that, that, that he had, do you know anything about him at all? I mean, other than, you know, other than what we all know that he had the long hair and, and all that. What we know, what, what we have heard about him, we, we don't know exact details on him, but what we've heard about him is that he was, he was a tall man, six foot four. Mm -hmm. And, and he had, um, he was actually a friend of Howard's and he was 20 years older than Howard. And so during that period of time, 72, 73, it talks about Howard Hughes looking 20 years older than what his age is. Well, he looked 20 years older because he was 20 years older. And this was the man who was declared mentally incompetent. He fell in a hotel room in England. And at that point declared mentally incompetent. And then from there, he was moved many different locations, ended up in Mexico mm -hmm. in 1976. And then that's where the gentleman died as he came across. We don't know his name. Mm -hmm. uh, we do know that Howard had other people who looked exactly like Howard and he'd use them as doubles. So there'd be a meeting somewhere and there'd be someone enter the back door, the back room, stand in the back of the room. Everybody look around. Well, that's Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes just came in. Of course, it was Howard Hughes' double. Right. And he'd turn around and leave, you know, to cause probably confusion, which is what he loved to do, or, or just to see what kind of reaction you're going to get when Howard Hughes walks in the room. So we do know he used body doubles that look like him. And we know he had this other gentleman. We also know that, that there was other names that he used uh, throughout his life too, just to add confusion uh, to his own, to his own existence. He couldn't really use Howard Hughes. He couldn't really use that name. Mm -hmm. So he found other names of real people. I don't know how he found them. But he found other names of real people, and he would use those at various times throughout his life. I can kind of see his point in a way because being so recognizable, I mean, it's hard to go anywhere. It's hard to do anything, you know. And I, I you know, after so many years, you probably get tired of it to the extent that may that maybe. I mean, that's why. I mean, that's why even a regular person gets a vacation house. So they can take off and just you know in the middle of nowhere and just hang out by a lake or whatever. So nobody. No phone, no light, no motor car, you know, any of that stuff going on. So, I mean, I can see it with with the stuff that he was doing and, and being so well-known like he was. I can understand it. And and you, you can see that because the movie stars today, they can never escape. Mm -mm. They, they can never, ever escape. Some of them don't want to, mm -hmm. but the ones that would, just there's no way to do it. Someone's mm -hmm. always going to recognize them. Mm-hmm. There's one story I remember um, from one singer. I'm not going to say who it is. She was out to dinner with, with her husband or a friend, and there were these people in the back room, and they recognized her. And they said, um, can you come back here? It's my wife's birthday. Oh, my goodness. She said, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. So she walked back there with this gentleman. And it's when it hit her that they didn't look upon her as a person. They looked upon her as a thing. Because instead of saying, look, I have so-and-so with me, he says, look what I found. Oh, my goodness. And that's yeah. when it hit her. And then she, then she ended up becoming very private in her private life after that. Because, you know, it, it didn't, it, she just thought, well, they're going to look at me as who I am. And, you know, I go in there. and But no. So I think it's the thing they all go through. I agree with you. You know, and some of them deal with it better than others do. But... I don't know if I'd like that. I don't know if I'd like people to, to recognize. Well, here I am <laughs> doing this. I'm a fine one to talk, I guess. But, you know, to, to have that kind of fame, 
you know, and, and yeah, like I said, I, I can understand. I like my time at home. You know, COVID was great. For, I'm one of these people. COVID was great for me because I got to stay home. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I'm more of an introvert anyway. You never know it because I do the show, but I really, I'm really more of an introvert and I enjoy it. And so after COVID, I just kept being an introvert. So I can understand that. I'd be happy up in the mountains somewhere, you know, closed off like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It wouldn't bother me. So, like I said, I can understand his point of view on it, if that's how he felt, you know, where he couldn't even go anywhere. Was he out and about in, uh, you know, when he was living in, in living there, what, was he out and about in the community sometimes? I mean, did, did he go out? He uh, he would go, in, before 1976, he would go into town, into Troy, Alabama. He'd go into town. They would go to lunch. He liked going to the hardware store, you know, the normal stuff. After 1976, he never did that because he never could afford to have been uh, identified. I have heard that with those hotels that he had in Las Vegas, that he would go and intermingle with people in the hotels in disguises. Mm -hmm. He'd wear wigs, he'd wear facial hair, things like that as disguises. But he didn't mind going out and interacting with the people, mm-hmm. mingling with the people, as long as there wasn't anything personal associated with it, mm-hmm. as long as they couldn't recognize him. Mm-hmm. But he would go out in very, very, uh, you know, drab, sometimes, uh, uh, you know, clothes that had stains on him, and wander around his casinos and enjoy them i guess i get that that would be a way to to do it if i if i owned a casino i'd probably enjoy it and that's what i think he did at that point in time where he could in a way that he could do it well yeah then like with like people like with elvis i mean elvis would rent the roller rink you know that was his thing he'd he'd rent the roller rink or the amusement park all night long or the movie theater so that he could go to the movies without being bothered by people, you know, so he can enjoy himself. So it makes a lot of sense. He even, even he had uh, pseudonyms when he traveled. He had fake names. Mm-hmm, when he mm-hmm. get on airplanes and stuff, so people wouldn't know it was him. So I, I could see, you know, that's cool. Good, you know, good for Hughes if he did this. That's, what, that's all I can say is good, you know, good, good, good for Hughes. He, he he found a way to hide. Yeah. He he just found a way to hide, and live the way he wanted to live. And as I said, they lived a very, very uh, frugal life mm-hmm. during that time. But he wasn't, he really wasn't a material man. Mm-hmm. He wasn't someone who needed a big house, who needed, you know, the big cars and everything. He just wanted to to, to hide. And mm-hmm. he found a way to do it. Well, I mean, and again, a big, a big house and, 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 and snazzy cars would just bring more attention to him anyway. Right. Th- that that's what people would expect, right? You know that 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 that's the way that he would be expected to live, and so live a total different way, and it fits what he was trying to accomplish at that point in time. I just wonder why he would pick somebody that was like twenty years older than he was to hide out, or unless that's the only <laughs> only uh, friend of his that said, "Oh, I'll, I'll do it," you know, <laughs> that was it. Yeah, well, uh, his. His uh, interaction with the stand-in was rather minimal. See, the way they worked this is he had about three aides that helped him. Mm-hmm. And there were about three aides that helped the stand-in. And then the stand-in started out in Las Vegas. And I think it was late 1970 that they moved the stand-in into the Bahamas and moved him out of Las Vegas. And then moved him over to Nicaragua, up to Canada, back to Nicaragua, to England, back to Bahamas, to Mexico. You know, they just moved him around, just throwing confusion everywhere they went there. And I think the only action action that Howard had was with them was through the aids Mm -hmm. of any direction that they wanted to provide you know, to buy this or buy that or, or that type of thing. But I don't think Howard had much actual interaction with the, okay. with the man at all. Yeah. Cause it's just all, he was so much older than he was, you know? Right. See, and, and Howard was born in 1905. Right. He was born in 1916. 
So they'd have been 10 years apart. And Vernon Nice was born in 1921. So the man that Eva was supposed to have been married to was actually five years younger than her. Mm-hmm. And she said, he was the man I was married to was not five years younger than me. He was way older than me. And so the age went in there too of, of um, fitting you know, what really went on here. And so the height and the age didn't ever match what Howard really was. Mm-hmm. So those things, if you begin to put the story together, those things all help confirm who was this guy and what was he really trying to do. So what happened after he passed away? I mean, there had to be some kind of, uh, I'm talking about Howard himself. After after he passed away, what happened to her? You know, what what went on on her end? Because obviously he was under his new name. She, okay, when Howard passed away, he passed away in November 2001, and they've lived together now for 31 years. Uh-huh. And Eva, then she was living in in uh, Dothan, Alabama, is where Eva was living at that point in time. And that's where I met her, was in that January 2001, 2002 timeframe. That's when I met her, and she said, there's something I want to tell you. There's something I want to talk to you about. And then she relayed the story to me and I, I just thought, you know, this is, this is crazy. Right. But she just pretty much um, lived by herself uh, on her own in Dothan, Alabama, and then moved to Jacksonville, Florida. She moved to Jacksonville, Florida, which is the place that she died then in 2009 was Jacksonville. Did she inherit in any, any of Howard's money or anything like that, that you know of, or did she just, end up just just living on as they say the only thing she got was a ten thousand dollar insurance policy that was it wow that was it richest man in the world yeah rich man man in america uh ten thousand dollars insurance policy but she never she was not really a material person either um she really didn't need a lot of money i guess if you live in the woods of alabama you don't need a lot of money (laughs) and they had enough money to to live on very, very handily. Right. And she had some savings put away and, and so forth like that. So they, they were, uh, you know, they weren't financially broke and he could, if he wanted to buy something, he'd just buy it. How old was she when she met him? When she met him, she was about 55 years old. Okay. She was born in 1916 and she met him in 1969. So what would that be? 53? Something like no, that. Yeah. 60, 63. Something like that. Uh, 53. And so she met him that then. Um, and then uh, they were married at that point in time. The, the marriage thing is interesting because in December of 69 and January of 70, they were in Alabama. They were in Panama and he would just disappear. He just disappeared for two months. She didn't know where it was. And he comes back to Panama and she says, well, where have you been? And he said, well, I had some business to attend to in the States. Now, Eva is smart enough to know when to quit asking questions. Mm-hmm. And then in March of 70, he took her to the nicest jewelry store in Panama. The nicest jewelry store in Panama and bought her a two-carat diamond ring. They're now engaged. Shortly after that, he says, I need you to sign everything that I need to sign. Here's my name. And she practiced, Werner Nicely. Werner Nicely. And she practiced Werner Nicely. And from there, for the next 31 years, she signed everything he needed to sign. Then they were married then in May of 1970 in Alabama. Eight, you know, the aides were, aides were all uh, interacting with him through all that, that period of time there. Mm-hmm. And then they just stayed there. She said he would go out and do his work at night. He'd always be gone at night. And if you read the books on Howard Hughes, that's when all of his communications was done was in the middle of the night. If someone needed to be called, 
the communication went in the middle of the night. So all of those things, all of those things matched. And then they left Alabama in June of 70. And Eva left him. Eva was ready to be done with him because she had a hard time living with him. So mm -hmm. she went to Flagstaff, Alabama, just to kind of just kind of get away from him mm -hmm. and hoping that he just disappeared. Well, he didn't. He now shows up in Flagstaff in July of 72. They were gone for six weeks or so. And I asked Eva, I said, Eva, do you know what happened in June of 72? And she said, no, no, I don't, I don't know. I said, Watergate. So if you put the pieces of Watergate together, what you end up with is, you remember Liddy and Hunt who got arrested for Watergate? They're caught in the in the in the whole, in the, the Watergate building. Yeah, they were working for a guy named Robert Bennett, who worked for Howard Hughes. Mm -hmm. The office they went into was a gentleman named Larry O'Brien, who was also on the Howard Hughes payroll. So in essence, what you have is Howard Hughes people going to an office controlled by Howard Hughes. And it does Nixon in. So why would Hughes want to do Nixon in? Hughes wanted Nixon to stop doing nuclear testing in Nevada. It's his backyard. He didn't want nuclear testing going on in Nevada. And he was a germaphobe. So this was not wise. So if you look at the timing of a nuclear test in Nevada in September of 69, it's exactly the same time that Howard shows up in Panama exactly the same time. Now, also, H.R. Halterman wrote a book that talked about, remember that 18 and a half minute lapse in the tapes, Richard mm -hmm. Nixon's tapes that were just blank? According to H.R. Halterman, that was the Howard Hughes connection to Watergate. That's why it could never, ever, ever come out. That's why that had to disappear because you didn't want the Howard Hughes connection to Watergate. And then in 1974, the Watergate investigative committee went to Howard Hughes and said, we'd like to talk to you about Watergate. Of course, Howard right now is supposed to be this, you know, long haired, long fingernail, mentally incompetent, drug addicted derelict. Right. His response is, I'll be happy to talk to you about Watergate but I'm going to make known to the public everything I've ever done for the CIA and you're not going to like it. It was dropped. It was dropped. It was all dropped. And that all happened at a time in there when Eva and Nick were separated. Wow. There's just so many twists here. <laughs> so yeah, there's, many little, twists. there's little bits and pieces that just fit together in here. Like a, like a glove. Eva said they were in they're in Arizona. Let me get the year right. This was uh, a, gen, a, a late seventy two, I think, late seventy two. And Howard was just elated. He was just on top of the world, just absolutely happiest she'd ever seen him, happiest she'd ever seen him, and and she didn't know what was going on. So I began to research. December 72. What happened December 72? Well, at that point in time in 72, Howard was supposed to pay a fine that he had in one of his businesses. I think it was associated with TWA. And he was supposed to pay a $152 million settlement. And all of a sudden in December 72, that was absolved. That was resolved. He did not now owe $152 million that he was expecting to have to pay. Hmm. And I told Eva, that would make you pretty happy if that was the case in your life. If you just learned that I was expecting to pay $152 million and I don't have to pay a penny of it. That definitely that would be very happy. Would be happy. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? So, you know, personality-wise, you know, when he was with her, like you say, you know, he could be very, he could be very de demanding with her. He could, you know, but he could be very sweet at the same time. 
when she first met him, what, what was he like? He he was very uh, he was very in charge. He was a very um, impressive man, mm -hmm. a tall, handsome, in charge. Obviously, had a lot of influence if he had these aides around him all the time. And so, Eva and Eva kind of resembled. She had a, a slight resemblance to Elizabeth Taylor. And so there's some physical attraction here also. I think it was 1948 that Howard went to Elizabeth Taylor's mother and said, I'll pay you a million dollars if you let me marry Elizabeth. <laughs> and when Elizabeth heard that, she just laughed. She just laughed at it. But Howard had this thing for Elizabeth Taylor. And now Eva somewhat has a resemblance there. And so they got together. They just enjoyed each other's company. She probably didn't ever, well, she knew when to quit asking questions with him. Mm -hmm. She knew when, how far to go and when to, when to stop thing. And he probably respected that and he probably liked that. Um, but they just enjoyed, they just kind of enjoyed each other's, each other's person. They traveled a little bit there in, in Panama, traveled around, saw some of the sites there in Panama and enjoyed their, enjoyed their time there. And then, later on went to went to Arizona but she found him um, you know very personal I found her very personable mm -hmm. and she had her memory was just instant she never ever forgot anything and even when I would ask her questions about certain times and certain episodes in their lives everything would be exactly the same. even words she said he said this I said this even the words, would be the exact same thing. One time she was telling me about an episode and, and I said, Eva, when did this happen? And she said, and, and I, I was expecting like, oh, it's April of 74. That's all I was looking at. And she said, it was just before noon on a Saturday. Wow. So her mind was always there. And we were asking her questions, you know, two weeks prior to her passing. She died in November uh, 2009 mm -hmm. and we were asking her questions up into two weeks of that and she was just answering them like she'd answered them you know two three four five six years earlier mm -hmm. everything was was instant there in her in her mind she was that good people say she must have had dementia she must have had alzheimer's no not a bit oh. not one bit the story is just so incredible. How long did it take you to research it and, you know, and, and put it together? Well, I started hearing it in 2002 and I didn't really didn't believe it. And, and then, and then as I, as I visited with her and the story never changed, mm -hmm. I started going back and researching it and found out, well, it's kind of what she's telling me. Everything's what she's telling me. And then I actually came to the conclusion in 2016, 2006 that this is true what she's telling me is absolutely right on true and so started putting the, the story together at that point in time i read it two or three times mm -hmm. because she wanted everything accurate i wanted everything accurate i didn't want any hollywood in it and she didn't want a hollywood in it and there was one time i read it to her and and i, I this was the second time i read it to her and she said, now you messed this up last time. I told you how to correct it. You didn't correct it. Get it right this time. And so she told me exactly what she wanted. And it was what she told me before. I just didn't get it in the manuscript. Huh. Wow. So did we, you she wanted to make sure everything was, was totally accurate in it and correct. And so if we, if we, whatever, whenever we speculated, we we're saying that in there. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we wanted everything to be totally accurate. We put the first book out in 2010. Mm -hmm. She did not want it to come out until after she had passed away. So we put it out 2010. And then more information started coming up more and more. I went back to Alabama and people started telling me more things. And people started making contact with us. Children started making contact with us. We started hearing these things. I expected someone to come to me and say, music, you stupid idiot. 
this is not true because A, B, C, and D, this is totally false. Nobody ever did that. Nobody did that. Everybody kept saying, yes, and oh, by the way, I had this interaction with them, and it all makes sense now. It never made sense before, but it all it all makes sense now of what they were really doing. The then reason. after the second book was put out in 2016, we then have gotten more information come forward. Well, again, the research, like like when you say you know, you you were looking at this stuff and comparing dates and all this, I mean that must have taken a lot of time. You know, they have to put that, you know, figure all that out, and put that together. And and what I try to do is read. You know, Eva was telling me this her story about Howard Hughes, and then it's time to read every book I could get on Howard Hughes mm -hmm. to say how how does all this fit? How did he do this? And what I found out a lot of the books on Howard Hughes never go into his later life. They just skip it because they can never explain it. So well, they just ignore his later life, which is probably a, a good move because yeah. you, you couldn't explain it. You, you could never, never reasonably say this is what happened right. to Howard dying, going from a commanding, charming man to a long haired, long fingernail derelict, mentally incompetent, you know, hundred pound, you know, guy. Absolutely. It, it, it just doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense to go between those two. Absolutely. Mr. Music, I want to thank you for coming. Oh my gosh, this was terrific. And uh, it, it's still, my head is still spinning about this, you know, but uh, what's next for you? Oh, we're, we're still uh, getting some information on this story. We've been, there's been other children that have come forward uh, and given their talk about their stories. There's been um, various people come forward and say, did you know this? Did you know that situation? And kind of just, uh, add, you know, adding to the story. So it's kind of like still collecting these things, these bits and pieces of information. And then, and then, uh, you know, trying to figure out a way to keep them all, going uh, when we need them fantastic well i want to thank you again for coming on i so appreciate it i'd love to have you on again to talk more about this this is incredible you know it's just i can understand him doing it but it's still hard to wrap my head around <laughs> i'm gonna i'm really gonna have to think about this now you got me thinking it's, it's very hard to get your head around that's right Charlotte, thank you very much for this interview i appreciate it this is great all right love to have you on again sir sounds good you have a good one. You also. Okay, bye-bye. All right. That is that was really cool. And yeah, who knows? You know, people that have money can do pretty much what they want if they decide they wanna, you know, if they decide they want to disappear. And I'm not you know, I'm saying it could be like all these sightings of Elvis. I mean, who knows, right? So uh yeah, that was my I agree, Marisa. That that, that was pretty mind blowing. And uh yeah, I'm gonna have to sit back and really drink a cool one and think about that one tomorrow nancy matz is going to be here says it and we're going to call them now nancy nancy fridays is what we're going to be doing because she's going to be here every friday and we're going to be talking about past lives we're going to be talking about children you know uh that that talk about their past lives and stuff so that should be interesting tomorrow and that's going to be our usual time at 6 30 p.m pacific again if you guys are interested in that ghost hunting one-on-one class that'll be saturday at 11 a.m., check out the uh, California Haunts Meetup. Also, I'm going to be teaching a Psychic Development Class Level 1 class on the 28th, and that's going to be also at 11 a.m. on a Saturday. And that's going to teach you how to open and close that psychic door and uh, meet, meet your spirit guides and meet, meet and you can meet your health guides and straighten out your chakras and do all that good stuff. If you're interested in that, check out the California Haunts Meetup. Um, if you like the show, Share it with five people. If you hated the show tonight, share it with five people. We're equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. Also, if you're watching from YouTube, please subscribe. There's that little guy down in the bottom right-hand corner uh, the show, with the Sherlock Holmes hat on and the magnifying glass. That's our mascot. And uh, we're, we're, we want to keep adding to our subscribers and all that. But again, I want to thank you guys for coming on. And uh, check out the website at CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. All our videos are there. There's links. Sometimes it's hard to find our YouTube site. The easiest way to find that is to go over to uh, the radio site and click on the video that's on the front, and that'll take you in. Or you go up and check out our archives. We've got all the archives 
Uh, we have more than 240 videos that we've done in the last year and a half, plus some of our Blog Talk Radio uh, videos are there as, or audio is there as well. And if you uh, want to listen to the show again, or you want to listen to past shows, and you're driving around in your car or whatever, and you you don't want to have to look at my face, hey, that's cool too. We also uh, are on Apple, you know, all, all the podcast stuff, Apple, Google, and all those places. You can check us out there, or check us out at rss.com. California Hunts, because we're there as well. But I want to thank you guys, and it's that time of the night when you see that thing flashing along the bottom of the screen. That's there because California Haunts takes no money to do their investigations, to do our investigations. Everything is based on donation. So just like with the radio show, all the bills uh, that, that come of this, whether it's internet or computer breaks or lights go out or my headphones commit to it, my, my headphones die or the mics die, that comes out of my pocket, and I can always use some help with some of that. So if you can find it in your heart to donate, because uh, you know, I love doing this. I'm a journalist, and uh, this is what I like to do. This is my thing. I'm a retired journalist. So you can donate at paypal.me at California Haunts. Or um, if you don't like PayPal, you'd rather use Venmo. Just as easy. Go to Venmo, type in California Haunts. But anyway, I want to thank you guys for coming. And I've got a link to where you can get this gentleman's book and his website. Uh, because I forgot to ask him about that in my infinite wisdom. <laughs> so here we go. Website is boxeshowardhughessecrets.com. And the book is Boxes, The Secret Life of Howard Hughes. And you can either get that book at, at his website or at Amazon.com. Anyway, I want to again, I want to thank everybody for coming tonight. And I will see you tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Have a good one.